I, w I was telling, uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was either last week or the week before. I was telling, I was telling somebody that every time I step up to to do worship and to lead worship, I always get this just the butterflies. You just know what I'm talking about. Always get the butterflies. I don't. Been doing it for a while now. I don't know why I still get it, but I do. But I. And so I started thinking about it, and I thought, wow, it's because of the weight upon that position and what we do. You know, there, that there's so much pressure, there's so much weight when you're leading somebody, when you're leading people, when you're leading a congregation into the throne of God, there's, there's a weight there. And I don't think I'll ever get used to that weight and I hope I never do because I don't want to take it lightly you know what I mean like I want I want to take it seriously every single time so if you ever see me and I'm fooling around too much call me out on it okay sometimes I, I like to play around but anyway if you don't know me my name is uh, Zach I'm one of the pastors here so thank you so much uh, for having me up here it's been a while uh, yesterday and the day before, it's so funny. So Pastor John came over. We had gone eradicating some deer, and I had some deer in the fridge uh, bleeding out. So you guys don't want to hear that. Anyway, we ended up making some sausage, and Pastor John came over. He helped me stuff all the sausage, and then I was smoking it yesterday, and I grabbed the smoking tube with my hand, without gloves. Yeah, smart, right? No. <laughs> you, you ever watch Men in Black? You know when he burns his fingerprints off and they make him a ghost? No? Anybody? Am I the only one? Seriously? Anyway, okay, thank you. Thank you back there, Men in Black fans. That's what I felt like. That's what I felt like. My fingers are flat. These two, just flat. So if I do any crimes, this is the only fingers I'm using. <laughs> but last week, uh, Pastor Larry gave this uh, awesome message titled, Offended Not, and I wanted to uh, continue on with that tradition because it was, so, it was so impactful. All week, if anybody else is with me, raise your hand, all week you've been using Offended Not. Anybody? Yeah? And he, even in texting, uh, <laughs> texting back and forth with my group and... Uh, and some of the guys in the group, and it's like, oh, you know, I had to be offended not today. <laughs> it, and it's such a catchy phrase that I was like, I'm just going to name this one, offended not continued. Okay, because I couldn't figure out anything else to name it. But I loved it, and so we're going to continue on with that. And I want to I ask you this question. Have you ever felt just offended when your expectations were not met? Anybody? Raise your hand. I feel like all of our hands should be up. If your hand is not up, either you have zero expectations of anything, of anybody, anywhere, or you're lying. <laughs> Everybody has a little bit of expectation and you've been a little bit offended when they're not met. And it's just such a common thing, especially in relationships, especially in relationships. And we're going to dive into... Uh, the story of Lazarus, okay? 
So John 11, we're going to go from verses 1 through 44, but I will not read them all, okay? I will not read them all. But John chapter 11, 1 through 44, you can write it down and go back and read it later. But, we've, but in, this, in this portion of scripture, Jesus gets the message that Lazarus is sick and he's about to die, urging him to come. And come soon and come fast. If your friend was on their deathbed and you had, or they were poisoned and you had the cure, and you heard that, you'd be running, wouldn't you? I'd be running. They didn't have cars. Donkeys move slow. I hardly ever hear about a horse in there. So it'd probably be a donkey that's the fastest they're going to go. But I'd be running over. But Jesus says, no, let's wait. Let's wait a little bit longer. Let him die. Let's Lazarus die. Comes back a few later, goes back to the town. Martha sees him, hears that he's coming in, runs up to meet, to meet him and says, Jesus, if only you were here, you could have saved him. If only you were here. Lazarus would not have died. My brother would not have died. Who's the other, who's the sister? Who's Martha's sister? Mary. Mary is the one that, you know, chose to sit at Jesus' feet while he was teaching. Later on, anointed him with precious oil. The, the one that, that chose the good thing heard that Jesus was coming and chose to stay home. She chose to stay home. She didn't run out. Martha was the one that ran out to meet Jesus. Mary stayed back. And so we can, we can almost assume that Mary was pretty devastated and hurt. Because she, ex she knew that Jesus could heal and expected him to come and heal Lazarus. But he never showed up. And she was hurt. Anybody experienced that before? I know I have. We can relate to situations similar to this. And so Jesus goes and he meets with Mary. He finds Mary and Mary says the exact same thing. That Jesus, if only you were here, my brother would not have died. If only you were here, my brother would not have died. She was offended. But Jesus, we know that Jesus had a plan and he wanted to show her much more than he was just the healer, right? Because she knew Jesus was a healer, but he wanted to show her and show everybody around and have it spread across Israel that Jesus is not only the healer, but he is also the life giver. He is the resurrection. He resurrects people. He resurrects what is dead. He brings to life what has fallen into the grave. He brings it back to life. That's who he wanted. That's the part of him that he wanted to reveal. And in the midst of that, Mary gets offended because of her unmet expectations. John eleven thirty two, 32, 
Now when Mary came to where Jesus had saw him, she fell at his feet, saw him. Lord, if you'd been there, my brother would not have died. An unmet expectation kept her from running to Jesus. You know, sometimes we get offended because of what somebody has done to us or what something has been done to somebody else. Anybody get offended for somebody else before? Yeah. Or even sometimes things that are not done. I think sometimes that those are the, the most impactful in a bad way. <laughs> the ones that offend us the most. I had uh, yesterday, I took Zemi out for ice cream. And in the midst of getting her ready to leave, Mickey had asked me for some ice cream. But all I heard was coffee. For some reason, I heard coffee. And so I ended up getting her this frozen coffee drink. And, she, and I came home all excited. I was like, here, I got this for you. This is what you wanted. You wanted some coffee? No. She's like, coffee? I said ice cream. I wanted ice cream. She's cooking. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I heard wrong. And we have things like that all the time because, yeah. <laughs> Anybody else like me? Man, I got to focus sometimes. <laughs> Just so that things stay. But I had offended her. But we're okay now. <laughs> I had to ask her if we're okay. <laughs> Something as small as ice cream, man, just get you, get you wound up. Anyway, uh, let's watch this YouTube clip. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to relationships, all of us have a box, an invisible box of hopes, dreams, and desires. Money, you know, we're gonna have a lot of money or we don't need a lot of money. Live in some sort of thing, you're gonna rent, you're gonna lease, you're gonna purchase. You know, there's travel, we'll travel a lot. We're gonna travel all around the world. No, we're gonna keep it in the United States. And this is, um, you know, every guy um, has some idea of what he hopes and dreams that his wife <laughs> will not wear to bed. And, and she's thinking, but you know, he just wants me to be comfortable. He doesn't care. At some point along the way, we can't help ourselves. We essentially take our box of hopes, dreams, and desires, and we say, here, make them come true. When we hand somebody our box of hopes, dreams, and desires, it doesn't feel like hopes, dreams, and desires to them, does it? To them, it feels like expectations. To them, it feels like a weight. To them, it feels like a responsibility. To them, it feels like if they don't come through, you might be disappointed with them. There's something about extraordinarily happy couples that's always a mystery. And I'm telling you what part of the mystery is. They live every day under the assumption that they owe each other everything and they don't expect anything in return. How's that? Anybody experience that? Married people, they're like, yeah, amen. That, that's a hurdle sometimes to get over. That right there, I, I watched that right, right before 
was it either right before or right after I had gotten married? Can't remember. It was one or two. I'm thinking, I'm going to assume that it's more after the fact. I've heard stuff like this before, but it, it never really sinks in until you're, like, in it. Until you realize, oh, dang, I had just given my, my box of hopes, dreams, and desires to my wife. And she's not meeting them. And she can't meet them. Not all of them, anyway. I mean, and I started to get hurt, and I started to get offended by just the little things. And recently, we have, we, we've been going to, uh, we've been doing some couples counseling, because we just were not communicating. We are just missing each other a lot. And through this whole process of learning how to communicate the both of, for the both of us, we've been learning how to talk to one another and to communicate what our wants and our needs and our desires are towards one another and for one another so that we could better serve one another. And those, those expectations are, are slowly fading or we're taking those back from each other. You know what I mean? Like I, didn't, not, I had given her these expectations in the beginning of our marriage. And now I'm starting to pull them back and saying, like, I cannot expect you to fulfill all of these things for me. That is, that's, that's, not, that's not fair to you. It's not fair to you. And so we both started pulling back these expectations. And, our, and honestly, our relationship has grown. It has gotten so much better since then. I mean, we still have ice cream moments, you know? <laughs> But the bigger things in life, they're, 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 they're starting to become less and fewer and far between. And when we, fir- when we first got married, I had this expectation. Can I, can I be a little, like, real with you? Is that okay? Is, is that okay? I thought we were going to have sex a lot. That was not the case. And that was... I had a tough time dealing with that with her, and I would get mad at her and frustrated with her, and we had to work through that. <laughs> but that was one of my, I think that was probably my biggest expectations besides dishes. It was like that, and then dishes. <laughs> like I, ex- I had expected that she would just l- do dishes all the time, or l- at least love doing them. <laughs> None of those things. <laughs> None. <laughs> Now I do majority of the dishes now. <laughs> She's like, tired, can you just do the dishes? Yes, yes, dear, I will do the dishes for you. <laughs> I will do the dishes. Yes, amen, see that? <laughs> he knows, he knows how frustrating dishes are for me. I would rather clean a stinking toilet than do dishes. I don't know why, dishes are stinking nasty. Anyway. <laughs> Expectations. The only person in our life that can handle all of our expectations is who? God, right? God is the only one who can handle every single one of our expectations. And we need to surrender our expectations to the right person in order to combat this offense, this relational offense that, com- that happens sometimes. But we have to be willing and ready for the relational offense that comes from the word of God. Hey, you hear me? 
We have to be ready for the relational offense that comes from the word of God and from God. Because when we hand him our expectations and our desires and our hopes and our dreams, he goes and he looks at us and he goes, Zach, I made you this way, but you want this. That's not going to be good for you. So I'm not going to give that to you. You see what I'm saying here? Like God looks at, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows every single hair on your head. He formed you together in your mother's womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made by him. By the creator, by God, and the, he, if the creator doesn't know what the creation is for, then I don't know who does. He knows you, and so therefore, he may not give you what you hope, dream, or desire, because it may not be the best for you. And sometimes, we will be offended by that. Amen? But we have to be okay with that. How about offending somebody that with something you did, it wasn't a bad thing, you didn't, maybe you didn't do it towards them, you weren't even thinking about that person, and they're like, I'm offended with you. When you did this, I got all offended. And you're like, why are you offended? It doesn't even matter to you. It, only, it doesn't even affect you. It affects me. Why are you offended? You just need to get over it. Anybody said that before? You just got to get over it. Anybody? Yeah? <laughs> That's us being offensive when we don't have to be. We cannot be the ones who are offensive. We have to let God be offensive. We have to let God be offensive. Not you, not me, not anybody. God. God needs to, needs to be the one who is offensive. 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's eight, chapter 8, verse 9. It says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. This verse was written in reference to um, some of the people in, in Corinth. They had sacrificed food to idols and would eat sacrificed food to idols. And then when they uh, converted over to Christianity, they couldn't get over the fact about eating these, uh, sac these uh, sacrifices and offered goods to these idols, these offered foods. They couldn't get over it. But then there are some Christians who, because as you read, you find out that Jesus had covered all of it and they were, it was okay to eat, that it wasn't what was un what went into your mouth that made you unclean, but what came out of your mouth. And so there's this new truth for these people in Corinth that it didn't matter what they eat. It didn't defile them. It didn't make them unclean. But what they said did make them unclean. But there is a group of Christians, young believers, that had, could not get over that, that hump. They still felt guilty if they ate of it. And so... Paul writes to them and says, take care that your right, this, this right of yours to eat this, this food that has been offered or sacrificed to idols does not become a stumbling block to those who are weaker in the faith. It's like drinking in front of a person who's in AA. You know, like you know that they're in AA. You know that they have a hard time with it, and you're like sucking back a beer. 
in front of them. And it's a temptation. It's a hurdle. It's a stumbling block for those people. For me, what, this is a small thing, but this is one thing that I kind of struggle with. Some, not, I don't know if I struggle with it, but I'm conscious of it, okay? I, I really like to wear hats because then I don't have to do my hair. I wake up in the morning, man, I have like a fro. It's, it's nuts. But hats are amazing because I just, up, hair's gone. Nobody sees it. But I notice that there, when some people pray that they like to take their hats off. For, for me, it doesn't bother me that I keep my hat on or somebody else keeps their hat on while they're praying. But for some people, it, like, it messes with them. They're like, I can't even pray to God because you have your hat on. And so I have, I'm like, because we're part of Unashamed, we have a whole bunch of different churches and peoples that, uh, that we pray together and we worship together and we do uh, life together and we minister to kids together. That like, sometimes when we pray, I just take my hat off. Even though I'm okay with it, I know that that potentially could offend somebody and make that into a stumbling block and prevent them from praying or getting into the, the presence of God. Oh, rockets going. <laughs> so I take my hat off, and I'm conscious of that. We have to let God be offensive, not us. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 24 says that all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. We'll continue on in, in chapter 10 to verse 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in, this, in everything that I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. It's not for, don't do things for your own advantage. That could potentially offend somebody. We have to allow the word of God, God's spirit to convict and to offend people, not us. It's not our job to offend people, okay? We have to let God do it so that they may be saved or built up in the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 6.3 says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Jesus and the gospel is plenty offensive without our help. Plenty offensive. Because it's not about being politically correct or just avoiding conflict. It's about reflecting God's love and his grace to everyone around us. The people we come in contact with, showing them grace and showing them love and acceptance. Because when we let God be offensive, it's, we, are put, we are trusting that God has the power to convict hearts and to transform lives. Amen? Sometimes we take it upon ourselves to go and change somebody's life. And we become... The, the one that's offensive and trying to, like, force somebody to change. Our role is to demonstrate his love. It's cool if we just 
kind of imagine that if everybody, everybody did that, like all the Christians just live this truth out where we prioritize the, just the spiritual well-being of the people around us over our own rights, over our own preferences. Imagine how many people would, would come to God. I just think that's just amazing. We, letting God be offensive and not us. Last year, last year, uh, Jarrett and I went hunting on Lanai, and we had this amazing experience of hiking up a mountain with two dead carcasses strapped to our shoulders. It was amazing. You know, we, we had already hiked. I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jarrett. I, I feel like we hiked about two, three miles like away from the truck, horizontal. Then we did another two miles down the mountain and then back over horizontal, trying to chase some stuff and find stuff. Finally found stuff, killed it, killed two animals, got over to the animal, went to take the meat and realized ain't got no game bags. Forgot the game bags. And if you hunt or know, bones are heavy. Bones are heavy. I just wanted to take meat and leave. But no, I forgot trash bags. I forgot game bags. I forgot any bag that could have held this meat. And so what we ended up doing was we ended up like hog tying the legs after we had field dressed it. We hog tied the legs, strapped it over our shoulders, and started walking up the mountain to our truck. We were walking like this. I kid you not. It was <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Come on. And so now we we're going again in September, and I told him I do not want to experience that again. We're training. And so we've been training for this. <laughs> it's, been, it's been awesome. But that is a picture of what holding on or withholding, withholding forgiveness looks like. Carrying a stinking dead weight up a mountain. Every time you hear that person's name or see them, all that weight, boom, right back. And I picture myself back on that mountain, walking. That is this picture, which is super cool. Sometimes holding on does more damage than letting go. Sometimes holding on, holding on to offense, holding on to the bitterness, holding on to the unforgiveness does more damage than letting go. And then I kept scrolling when I was looking Looking at these pictures, here, play the next one. This was funny. I like this one. I don't know if you can see that. It says, just let go. You'll do less damage. I learned that on Instagram. This guy is hanging off the cliff. Can you see that? I started cracking up. <laughs> learned that on Instagram. Instagram is not a fun, good place to learn stuff all the time. A lot of false information. Hey, throw that next picture up there. 
Sometimes we have to let go of what is killing us, even if it's killing us to let go. I choose forgiveness. I choose forgiveness. God wants us to choose forgiveness. It's a choice. Remember last week we learned that. We learned forgiveness is a choice and offense is a choice. Mark 11, 24 to 25. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that, it, that you have received it and it will be yours. And whatever, oh, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Scary thought. Not just for good measure, it's the second time it's in the Bible. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I never fully got this the first few years of my my walk with God. I never fully got this. Then I had, I had this moment, Keith. Can you throw that picture up? I had a moment similar to this, but with unforgiveness. It says, this is Jesus. Let me in. Why? So I can save you from what? From what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> like, as, as, as Christians... As people who believe in the Bible, who believe in heaven and hell, who believe that when we die, that we don't just disappear, go into nothingness, be reincarnated, or anything like that. What we believe is that when we die, we're either going to go to heaven or hell. If we believe in Christ and we believe that he's the son of God and we believe that he came to earth as a man, fully God, fully man, died on the cross, rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven, proving that he is the son of God. If we believe in him and follow him and obey him, then we know that we're going to go to heaven. If we don't believe in Jesus and believe in those things and follow after him, then we go to hell. And if you read throughout the Bible and you read about hell, it is not a fun place to be. Not a fun place to be. And so I got, I had a moment like this with unforgiveness. There's somebody in my family that I had a really hard time forgiving. Because it wasn't just like one offense. It was like ongoing multiple offenses. And so I had a really hard time forgiving this person. But then we had this argument, yelling argument in front of the house. And I had left for work. And then on my lunch... God is just, I'm steaming, that's why, this whole, the whole day I'm steaming. And God's working on my heart. He's like, you got to forgive. You got to forgive her. Forgive. Forgive. And I had this moment. And I was like, okay, God, I want you to forgive me, so I'm going to forgive. So I called her up. And I said, like, hey, I just want to let you know that I forgive you for everything you've done. I may not like you, but I'm going to forgive you. And like, 
she said something, and I hung up. And that was it. That was it. I just left it at that. Never brought it up again, but I knew I had to take that first step. And I tell, I, okay, if you have never experienced it before, you, like, you're in for a treat. Because after I said that and I hung up the phone, honest, all of that anger left. It's like God pulled that steam valve and was like, and just relieved all that pressure that was building up. I dropped that carcass. I stopped walking uphill. I started walking downhill. Like, that's what forgiveness does for us. It's really good for us in two ways. One, it frees us. It releases us from that weight, from that prison. I heard it. I don't know if you've heard it, but I heard it said that when you forgive somebody, you release a prisoner only to find out that the prisoner was yourself. You let yourself out of the cage when you forgive and you release forgiveness. One, the second thing is that it allows God to also forgive you. Without us forgiving others, it blocks God from forgiving us. It's a scary thought. It's a really scary thought. God encourages us, encourages us, encourages us to always forgive, to forgive, forgive. That's why like, when we keep from being offended in relationships, if we can uh, healthily surrender our expectations to the right person. It helps us to not be offended as much. I'm saying it's, it, this is making it just easier to live, live life without offense a little bit more, okay? Surrendering our expectations to the right person so that we can outserve the people in our lives. To allow God to be the one who offends people and to not take it upon ourselves to be the ones that are offensive. To trust in God's power to transform a life and to transform a heart. And to choose forgiveness. To choose forgiveness for every offense that, has, that is happening to us. Amen. Because it frees us from that weight and chains of bondage. So that we can walk free in freedom and in life with God. Amen. All right. Can I, can we just have everybody close their eyes real quick? <clears throat> if if you are right now, currently, God's putting it on your heart and He's speaking to you that there, there's somebody in your in your life that you need to forgive. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. This morning. Nice. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that teaches us, that encourages us. That we thank you that it is truth. And right now, 
for those hands that are raised, Lord, that you will begin to soften their heart. To choose to let go of offense. To choose forgiveness. To cast off the weight of unforgiveness. The chains of unforgiveness. So that they may walk in freedom with you. Sometimes it takes time and it takes a healed heart. So I pray for healing for their heart right now. Healing for their heart in the name of Jesus that will allow them the strength to choose to forgive. Because it takes a lot of strength and courage to choose forgiveness, even when it's justified to hold on to unforgiveness. And so I pray that over them in Jesus' name. For all of us here, Lord, I pray that we will put our expectations upon you. Give them to you. Surrender our expectations to you, Lord, the only one who is capable of fulfilling and holding on to all of our expectations. We trust in you, and we give you our heart, and we give you our dreams. We give you our passions, our desires, our expectations. We submit them to you, and we surrender them to you, our God, our Father, who knows us better than we know ourselves. We trust in you, and we trust in your will, we trust in your ways, and we trust that you're not only going to work in our lives, but you're going to work in the lives of those around us, Lord. Help us to outserve the people around us, to live like you do, to be your hands and feet, and to love those around us by serving them unconditionally, Lord, just as you served. We thank you and we praise you for every heart in this place that you may bless them and keep them, that you shine your face upon them and you be gracious to them. You turn their face toward them and you give them peace. We honor you and we bless you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You guys-